Am I loved? Am I loved? Does God love me? These are some of the the deepest questions in our lives. If we think about our life, how much of our actions are motivated by this deep desire to know that you're loved? Or that God loves you or that others love you? The reason why this this question rings in our lives and the reason why we ask it is because, because of sin. Think about the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve sinned. They hid from God. They ran from Him. The question lingered in their minds, is God really going to love us in light of what we have done? Even further, as, as we live our lives, we encounter a narrative in the world and about the world that encourages us to be who we are. But rarely is that uh, self-authenticity accepted. Contemporary culture promises that you can have both authenticity to yourself and loving relationship, but it always under delivers. Always. So our lives become this anxious pursuit to arrive at a version of ourselves that is worthy to receive love and to love. But what the Bible shows us is that it is the love of God and it is in the love of God that we are radically accepted, we're radically loved, and we're unbelievably, unimaginably empowered to live a life of love for God and for others. The Bible gives us what I would call, some, some people make the list shorter, but the Bible gives us five different characteristics as to what and who God is. A lot of people think it's a shorter list, but I would, I would say it's, these are the five things. These are the five things the Bible says about who and what God is. One, God is light. It's in 1 John. Two, God is spirit. John 4 says that. Also, 1 John says that as well. Three, this is the one that isn't always in the category, but it says that God is one. Deuteronomy. It's one God. Hebrews says that God is a consuming fire. And the fifth one is God is love. God is love is a very interesting statement if you think about it. It's, it's really interesting that that's what God wants to be identified as. It's worth asking yourself, who is God and what is God? That's a, that's a worthy question to ask. It's worth asking yourself what you would define God as. That's a, if you think about it, that's an even valid question for your own life. I know for me, as a man, a pastor, a husband, a father, I'm constantly asking myself, what am I about? It helps me kind of center myself on, you know, what do I want to be, right? Like, what do you want to be in your life? What do you want to do in your life? I ask myself that regularly. Well, the way God answers that question about himself is in this way. He is love. It's interesting how John says this in 1 John. We just read it. In Melissa's, the passage that Melissa read in 1 John. It's not just that God is loving meaning that he expresses his love to us and that's the basis for what his love is. It also doesn't say, nor could it even be translated as if God is love also means love is God. That's, it's not interchangeable there. That would mean that God is ultimately what we think love is. Instead, it says God is love. Why is this question important? Because understanding what the Bible says about the love of God 
gives us all we need to know to understand who God is and how love functions in the world. Understanding what the love of God is leads us to understand how love functions in our lives. Does that make sense? To understand the love of God is to understand everything about our relationships to one another. It helps us understand how we're to live our lives confidently in the calling God has put upon our lives. And it also gives us a firm foundation to stand upon when the world constantly tries to redefine what it means to relate to one another. It gives us a firm foundation. So what does it mean that God is love? This is a few things, three things I'll say about that. Well, two things I'll say. It means that God is the standard and definition for what love is. To understand love, you must understand God. God is what love is. In the ultimate sense, there is no understanding of love outside of who God is. You can't understand love apart from who God is. You can't understand what love really is in, in, in the, the, the crux of the matter, the essence of the word, the essence of what it means for your life until you know God, until you know who he is. But it also means this. It means that everything, God is love means everything about God is defined as love. That's amazing. God does it love among other things that he does as well. His creating, his sustaining, his relating, his glorifying his son, his judging the world, every action, every thought, every deed are all loving acts of God. Everything that he does, what John is ultimately saying here when he says that God is love, is he's saying everything about God is love. Everything about him is love. God doesn't exist outside of his love. He doesn't exist outside of his love. We're not, we're not like that necessarily in our lives. Um, there's times where you feel love from someone. But then there's times where you feel anger from that same person. God's not like that. God is always love because love defined correctly is who God is. Everything he does is love. So I want to look at a few verses in John 17. This is, this is where we're going to camp and really anchor this in the Bible. In John 17, as well as a few other passages as well uh, in 1 John, to help us really grasp what is the statement that God is love about? What's it saying about God? What's it saying about us? And we're going to look at who God is as love, what God has done in love, and who we are in love. Before I read here in John 17, starting in verse 20, before I read that, I want you to consider the, the context of John, of, in, in John 17. John is the disciple of love. John the disciple was a man who was radically, scandalously loved by Jesus. He was loved by Jesus. He experienced the love of God. And here in turn, he shows us through his writings in the New Testament, the love of God. He shows it to us. And as we get to John 17, there's two points I want to make about the context of this chapter that are really important. First is that these words in John 17 come right after John or Jesus had washed the disciples' feet. Right after he had eaten the Passover meal with them. 
And right after he had given them many instructions about life and about who God is, about who the Holy Spirit is, in following these verses, Jesus will go to the cross where he's going to suffer brutally for the sins of the world. That's the context in the narrative of John's gospel as we arrive upon these words. But the second thing I want to say about John 17 is this, is John 17 is a prayer. Jesus is praying and he's asking the Father for certain things. And we've talked about this before. When we see Jesus pray, it is not like our prayers necessarily, because Jesus is God. This prayer in John is a certainty for his people. It will come to pass. When Jesus prays, it happens. So with that context, we read John 17, verse 20 through 26, and listen to the word of God. Jesus is speaking to the Father. He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, Even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. John 17. This is an incredible passage. I want to answer this question first. Who is God as love? What does it mean that God is love? What does that mean? And this is is how I would sum that up in a statement from this passage, specifically verse 24. If God is Trinity, then God is love. John 24 says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me to see my glory that you have given me because you, Father, loved me, the Son, before the foundation of the world. Jesus prays for us that we would be with him and we would see the beauty and the glory of the Trinity. The love of God that has existed from eternity. Isn't that amazing? He prays this because it is out of the love that God created the world so that he could share his glorious love in and of himself. He prays this because it is out of the love that God created the world from. That he wants to share his glorious love to all those whom he has created. And you may ask, what is the love of God? We've talked a lot about the love of God. What is it? And I would define it in this way. In in light of this ultimate reality here in John 17. The love of God is the ecstatic, self-giving delight in the Trinity that overflows to others. The ecstatic, self-giving delight in the Trinity that overflows to others. That's pretty wordy. It's okay. We're going we're to look at it. God is, is Trinity here. 
explains all of the hesitations we have about God. It explains everything about God. God did not need to create the world because there was something lacking in him. God didn't didn't create the world out of a deficiency, but out of an overflow. Which ultimately means that God is not on a power trip. God didn't create the world so that we would serve his ultimate purposes and be little puppets of his glory. Every other major religion says this. Every other major religion says this. Every other major religion is ultimately, if you could sum it up in a word, about power. Every other major religion is about power. Even where in other religions you see mercy, right? That mercy is downstream from power. But not with Christianity. Because God is Trinity, a claim that stands apart from anything else you'll ever see in the world, it means that God is ultimately about love. C.S. Lewis has this section in his screw tape letters. It's, it's, a, it's a book. It's basically a dialogue between demons. And in it, it's, he writes it in a way that's really insightful. You know how when you, when you read John 17 and you see the dialogue between Jesus and the Father? Well, in the same way, C.S. Lewis writes this, um, this, this book and you see a dialogue. And in that dialogue, it reveals a ton about who God is, the world, Christians, their plans, in the world, meaning the, the plans of the enemy in the world. And talking about God's love, Screwtape, which is one of the senior demons, he says this. This is an incredible reality. Just listen to this. Talking to another demon, he says, One must face the fact that all this talk about God's love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not, as one would gladly believe, just propaganda, but it's an appalling truth. He really does. God really does want to fill the universe with a lot of his loathsome little replicas that reflect his image, whose life on a miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own. Not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. As demons, we want cattle who can finally become food. But God wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in as demons. God wants to give out. We are empty and we want to be filled, but God is full and he overflows. God overflowed with Trinitarian love so much so that he created us out of it. He wanted for us to experience and see this eternal, incredible Trinitarian love. Trinitarian love tells us that at God's heart is love because for God to be the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is for God to be love. But God doesn't just leave us with just an understanding of love that's theoretical. He doesn't just leave us with an understanding of love that is up in the clouds and abstract from reality, but He leaves us with a, with a picture and view of love that's rooted in reality and is historical an act of love in the person and work of Jesus. So what has God done to prove this love? What has he done to show us his love? This, God has loved us as he loves his son. If God created the world out of the love of the Trinity, think about the claim that I just made. God loves us as he loves his son. John 17 verse 23 As we just saw, it says this, verse 23. 
He says, I and them and you and me, Father, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus is saying that through the sending of Jesus, through his sending into the world and the work that he would do in his life, his death, his resurrection, it would be how we would know the love of God. It's here that that it's really important to see. Just insert into this narrative before we really land that point. It's important to see that we are separated from God. And we're separated from, as, as David says, this better than life love. He, he says, man, your steadfast love is better than life. We're separated from it. The reason why deep down one of the biggest questions that we're working towards or anxiously considering, even on a subconscious level, this, this question as, as I started with of am I loved? The reason why... We're trying to figure that out in our life is because we feel the brokenness of sin. We are sinned against. Things happen in our lives that make us believe that we're not worthy of love. In a fallen creation, we are robbed of our confidence that God would be loving because of legitimate life circumstances. But also this, we sin against God. We sin against God. Eve in the Garden of Eden to be separated from God and to run from Him, even when we don't know that God has atoned for our sin. We're afraid that what our actions, our mistakes, our heart motives say about us would leave us alone. If you, if, if you think about that question, am I loved? That's ultimately the crux of the matter. We're afraid we're going to be left alone and without God in the world. That's what it's about. The gospel says... That God has loved us, not in a way that looks past the wrongdoing in our lives, but he addresses the wrongdoing by his son suffering the loss of intimacy with the father at the cross. The son dying and without hope in the world. The son being ridiculed, mocked, and beaten because of the actions of others. And now because of this work in Christ, and because of his resurrection at the right hand of the father, he has sent his love and set his love on us. As sons and daughters. He loves us just as he loves his son. Think about that. Think about what this is saying. The love of the Trinity that existed before creation. The love of the Trinity that that only existed in the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The love that the Trinity had in and of itself, himself, in the creation of the world, it overflowed into the creation of the world. Namely, the love that the Father has for the Son is the very love that God the Father loves us with now. God loves us as He loves Jesus. Isn't that not amazing? How do we know that He loves us as He loves the Son? It's through the Son that we know this love. And and this is what's what's really important. To know the love of God, you cannot know the love of God apart from the Son of God. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world. How do you know that He loved the world? He gave His only Son. John 15.13 says, Greater love has no one than this, meaning that there is no other example of love in the world than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends, pointing to what he would do. Just two chapters later. There is not a better way 
for us to understand the love God has for us than through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And I want you to also see the exclusivity of this love. It's not just that Jesus is the best way. Jesus is the only way to understand the love of God. We only get to know the love of God through the Son. There's a passage in John, in John chapter 5, where Jesus is interacting with the religious leaders of the day. And throughout the passage, he's showing how these religious leaders are rejecting God himself. Jesus, the Son of God, he's being rejected by these religious leaders. And and Jesus is, is trying to show them that this is a grave error. Because you can't know God apart from knowing the Son. In John chapter 5, verse 42, it says this. But I know, because they were rejecting the Son, this was his response. I know that you do not have the love of God within you. John 5, 42. He says that because we cannot understand love outside of the Son. The Son of God. The Son is the only way that we see the love of God and can come to know the love of God. So fix your eyes upon the Son who is the delight of the Father. Fix your eyes upon the Son who is the very delight of God the Father. Fix your eyes upon the Son who was despised in the world so that we could now be the delight of the Father. My last point, then I'll end with a couple of implications. What does this mean for us now? What does this really mean for us now? Another way you could say it is, who, who are we now in love? If we've been loved in this way, this radical way, who are we now in love? And this is my response. God has poured his love into our hearts. Look at what verse 26 says. How the whole crescendo of this passage in John 17 ends. In verse 26 it says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. It is through our union with Christ by faith, when we believe the gospel, when we're united with Christ, that's the language that it uses. All of us who have believed in him and have come and followed in obedience to baptism are united with Christ. That's what baptism is showing us, that if you're united in a death with him like his, you're going to be united in a resurrection like his. Everything about the Christian life flows from that reality, union with Christ. We are united with him. We are one with him. I in them is what Jesus says. And it is through our union with Christ by faith that we see, through the union with Christ, that we see demonstrated the love of God in our salvation. But even beyond that, not not only do we see it, but it is through our union with Christ by faith that we experience the love of God through Jesus as he sends us his Holy Spirit. In John chapter 1, I love how this is demonstrated. John the Baptist, he shows us two things. He shows us one, John the Baptist is in one of his greatest sermons. I think John 1's incredible. He says, Jesus is the Lamb of God who's taking away the sins of the world. And that language is taking away, presently acting, nonstop, continuing. He's actively taking away the sins of the world. And the second thing it shows us is that Jesus is baptizing presently, nonstop, when you see the original languages, in the Holy Spirit. So John is showing us that we see in his death and resurrection our forgiveness of sins. But downstream from that, we experience through the power of the Holy Spirit forgiveness and love of God. We experience it. And we experience this in two ways. One, 
is through the power of the gospel and our union with Christ now where we see his sacrifice and we experience through the Holy Spirit. Two things. One, we, one, we are free to love God as God loves because we have the Holy Spirit. This ecstatic, another way to say that, is just this joyful, pronounced, emphatic delight We get to have that in God now through the gospel. Have you seen Jesus? When you see him for who he is, you become in love with him. Ecstatic, joyful, self-giving love that God has in the Trinity, we now have for him. Isn't it amazing? Because of what God has done in Christ, we now, through Christ, And the work of the Spirit have the capacity to love God the Father in the same way that Jesus loves the Father. We have the capacity to love the Spirit in the same way that Jesus loves the Spirit. And we have the capacity to love Jesus in the same way that the Father loves Jesus and the Holy Spirit loves Jesus. We now, through Christ, have the capacity to love the Trinitarian God with a Trinitarian love. Romans chapter 5 says... This, Romans 5, verse 5. Through the work of Christ, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Have you experienced that? Romans 5 is the Holy Spirit being sent into our hearts so that we could experience the love of God for us. Or think about Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. We know this passage well. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted, grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depths of this, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What Paul's essentially revealing here is that through the Holy Spirit, that's our experience. A deep dive into the eternal wells of God's love with him. This demonstrates that God comes and he dwells us so that we would have the capacity to receive his love, to love him, and to love others. Because of what he has done for us, because of his love for us. The very love of the Father will be put into us and he will give us all we need to love him. All we need to love him. The second downstream implication of union with Christ, that we have been loved as the Father loves the Son, is this, that we love others. This is ecstatic, self-giving love for God that we have, just as God loves in the Trinity, that we love now, this ecstatic, self-giving love for God, now, just as God did, overflows to others. Think about John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus, before he goes to the cross to his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also are you to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Notice that Jesus here shows us how the Father's love functions as mission in our lives. As we experience the love of God through the work of of Jesus and and the witness of the Spirit, we in turn overflow with love towards others. 
You want to know how to love other people well? Be infatuated, be centered, be radically focused upon the work of Christ. See Him with clarity and you will love other people. Because when we experience that love, we in turn overflow in the same way that the Trinity overflows with love for others and the world gets to see. This is how that love is a function of mission. The world when we have the love of God in our hearts, gets to see this Trinitarian love and they are invited to participate in it. We love others. Ecstatic, self-giving love for God that overflows to other people. First John 4, we read this earlier. I'm gonna read it again, verses seven through 12. It says, beloved, you are loved. That's what that word means, Beloved. You who are loved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Notice how it's all about knowing and experiencing the love of God to be able to fulfill the commandment and the imperative of love one another. Anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. To know God is to know love. To know God is to experience His love and to overflow with it towards other people. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he's loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, look at this. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What shall we say to these things? What wonderful realities. What love we have experienced in Christ. Worship Him. Be reconciled to Him. Move toward Him. If the greatest question in your heart is, am I loved? Then God's radical answer is yes, you have in Christ. Here are four implications of this I want to leave you with that I hope will transform how you leave here today and will transform how you live in, in love in the world. One, if, Christ, if Christianity is an experience of the love of God, then you must know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot know the love of God apart from knowing the Son of God. You can't understand the whole Christian paradox of loving God and loving others if you do not first see and behold the person and work of Christ. The greatest thing you can do in your life to functionally live a life of love in the world is to spend time knowing, reveling, basking in the glory of God in the face of Christ. You must know the gospel of Jesus. Do you know Him? By faith, have you taken hold of it? That is the first and foremost of anything. Two, if this is true, that God is Trinity, and that from the Trinity, that means that God is love, then God is the standard and definition of love. Do not let the world strip you of his standard. Love is not inclusion. Love is not acceptance. Love is not lawlessness. Love is not enabling self-fulfillment. Love is not unconditional. Look at the supremacy of Jesus. Love is not hoping for the best. This is what love is. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. 
The truth that is ultimately found in the person and work of Christ. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Don't let the world hijack this wonderful biblical vision of love. But the third thing, if you have been filled with the love of God and you've experienced the love of God, just as God loves the Son, He loves you. If you've experienced that, three, do not love the world and the things of this world. I want you to listen to these words and this is the application. There's not much to say about it other than what 1 John 2 tells us. 1 John 2 Verses 15 through 17. This is what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The major point of that entire passage is the first imperative. Do not love the world. You've experienced the love of God. How can you return to that? Look at the logical flow of this passage. Do not love the world. And he says, this is why you shouldn't. Because if you do, it reveals you do not know the love of the Father. If you do. I want you to think about your life. What he says from there is this. All of the things in the world, the desires of the flesh that we have, that honestly we love, the desires of our eyes that we pursue and go after in the pride of our life. He says, this is not from the Father. It's from the world. And this is the third thing he says about this command. Do not love the world. He says, don't love the world because these things are passing away but the love of God will stand for eternity. Keep yourself in the love of God, as Jude says. The last point I'll make, and this is probably clear and understandable, but I just I felt it was necessary to say, I'm gonna invite the band to go ahead and come up, if y'all wanna come up now. If you know Jesus, and you see with the eyes of faith his work for us, this is simple, love him. Love him. Love God. Love Jesus in your life. If there's one thing I could stand up here and encourage our, conversa- our, our congregation in week in, week out, it would be to fall in love with Jesus Christ in your life. Fall in love with Him. Fall in love with Him. Fall in love with Him because He loves you with an unbelievable love. He loves you with a love that can't be described. He loves you with a love that is so incalculable that it overflows anything that would ever fill it. He loves you in a way that you can never even grasp or imagine. So love Him. You know, if you're asking your life, and if you're asking now, if one of the deepest questions of your life that's causing a ton of anxiety and maybe depression and maybe... Uh, you to fall into sin that you shouldn't. If that's you and you're sitting here saying, am I loved? Jesus' answer to you is yes. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, for this passage. We love you, Lord.
Thank you that as the Father has loved the Son, that now we are loved in the exact same way. What a wonderful promise. I pray, God, that our congregation would feel that on a deep spiritual level and that they would step into deeper levels of confidence and empowerment in the Holy Spirit to live a life of love for you and love for others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.